Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. Our vision at the Forum, as you know, is to make the Northeast an exceptional place to be an entrepreneur. And that's why we've invited today's cast of three entrepreneurs, which I in, will introduce in a second, to join us. The purpose of this podcast is to inspire you, to give you energy, and to think about entrepreneurship as a way of life, perhaps. But we'll see where the conversation takes us. I'm delighted to welcome on today's podcast, Michaela Rini from the Opportunity Global Group. Hi. Hi. I have Charlotte Nichols from Harvey and Hugo. Hello. And Tim Wilkes from Lane 7. Hi. Thank you all for joining us. We're going to start by taking you back in time. Um, not necessarily back to the playground, although we have talked about games of darts in the playground on other episodes. But when you were young, our question is, did you always want to set up your own business? And I think I'll start with Charlotte because she's looking like she's nodding, like this is always in her blood. I did. I always did. I never knew what in until I started in the world of PR. And I just don't know why I did either. My parents ran a business that was set up by my grandfather. So, you know, had positive kind of entrepreneurial role models in my life. But they tried everything they could to put me off from running a business. They were just like, find a job in a really big company, work your way up. It's going to be less stressful. You'll make more money. And you know what? They were probably right. I won't tell them to listen to this so they can't hear that. Um, but it's, I, it was just in my blood. It just it was something I had to do, but I just can't explain why. Did anyone else feel like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. Again, didn't know what doing. And and what I was really clear on is I wanted to experience working in lots of different sized organizations first so that I could get a feel for the type of business I wanted to run because I didn't know what that looked like. So working in corporate, working in a startup, scaling SMEs, just to get a sense of what even running a business meant, really. And, and Tim, what about you? Were you selling things in the playground? Did you always have that itch within you? I had a couple of paper rounds, uh, but I did them on the bike. I think I did them more because I was just like my BMX <laughs> rather than the paper rounds per se. I think um, I grew up next to a petrol station and car showroom that my dad built, so I had quite a traditional entrepreneurial environment, but I didn't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur. I just always knew and I still do, that I wanted to have a feeling of freedom in my work. So it wasn't that I had to be an entrepreneur. I just knew what I was going to do for work. I had to have a, a sense of sort of control in it and then I had all the freedom in what that was going to be. So you, you could argue some of those kind of um, key markers are there, but it, it wasn't defined that it had to be mine and my business. I just knew I needed that, that freedom to move and have that expression really more than anything. And do you think you found that, Tim, by being an entrepreneur, the freedom that you wanted? Um, yes, I think though that um, for me, I probably don't live and breathe being an entrepreneur as much as other people do. I see that more as a person. Um, I've, I've got that in my life, in my pastimes and hobbies. So it's very difficult to know whether if I'm happy, whether I'm getting that from my pastimes and hobbies and the freedom I get from that, whether that's from work. I think like anything, you can when it's all going well, it feels great. And uh, when it's not, maybe a bit more of a prison. So I think I do in general. The overall feeling would be, yes, that being an entrepreneur 
is, is, is or, or having your own business is, is challenging, but I do generally get that, that sense from it, yeah. And Michaela, you mentioned that you've worked previously in other organisations. What sort of brought you to where you are today? I went down quite a traditional route of going down the kind of graduate scheme um, route after university. And I quickly realised for anyone listening and any universities, yes, university is a brilliant place for the right person. But I think for me, if I could go back in time, I actually wouldn't have gone to university. I would have actually taken on an apprenticeship or I'd have done something a bit more practical where I could have been working straight away while learning. So I went a really traditional route and worked in corporates, which gave me a good indication of the organisations I really didn't want to be in and the organisations I didn't really want to lead either. So um, I think it was the constraints, a little bit like Tim saying around freedom, that I found in these organisations, there was a limit to what I could um, impact and a limit to what I could achieve. So there was great routes for progression. Yes, you could earn a lot of money, but you never really had that true um, a kind of ownership over your own destination. And I think I was probably a really terrible employee because, um, and I'm probably unemployable now because you end up in a situation where you're always questioning why. So why do we do it that way? Why can't we do it differently? Why aren't we making these changes that you know seem so obvious to you in in the role that you're in? So I think there's a certain sphere of influence you can have in those organisations. And that's the bit that really motivated me being in a situation where I sometimes had bad leadership examples. It really helped me understand the type of leader I wanted to be and the type of organisation I wanted to run as well. So it sounds like it was a natural progression for you to make the leap out of corporate into being an entrepreneur and having your own business? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it felt natural at the time. It was probably more um, a bit of a kind of, you know, let's give it a go and see where it where it takes me. I did a soft landing into entrepreneurship by being a consultant first. So I did that for a little while and that gave me that freedom, a bit more flexibility. And then it was during that time that I actually, in a corporate role, met my previous um, founder of my first business and that's how we um, created the business from there. And Charlotte, what about what about yourself in terms of the sort of journey that you've been on as, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it wasn't a, a soft approach. I went all guns blazing. I was 25. I had no money. I had no contacts. I had no real business experience. But I just thought, hey, let's give it a go. Everything that I lacked, I made up for in kind of passion and just willing to try at everything. And social media was just starting to come on the scene. And I knew that would have a big impact in the PR world. So I just thought, you know, let's go for it. Let's develop these PR social media packages where businesses can use and use it more commercially than personally. I worked in and out of my mum and dad's business in a shop. So I had a little bit of experience of that. I did a degree, but it was in sports science and management. The management side was relevant to what I do now, but I had no, uh, I couldn't apply it to anything. So I had no experience of management at the time. I loved the sports side. So maybe at some point I thought oh, I could run my own sports business. And then it was my first or second job, I think, out of uni at a, a small PR agency in Newcastle. Wonderful little place, learned so much there. And I just had entrepreneurial ideas of delivering the PR instead of uh, retainers, which were very popular at the time. And still after this day, I wanted to take things pay as you go or pay as Hugo, named after my, my dog, one of my dogs, Hugo. So I just had different ideas about the way of doing things. But going back to what Tim said about freedom, it's funny because when I'm feeling really entrepreneurial, I come up with ideas. I then 
if they're successful, I get trapped in running the business, um, which then takes my entrepreneurial flair away. And I just feel like I'm a business owner. And then I have to work my way out of that to get back to that elevated state of mind. So I constantly flux between the two. But it is so important, the freedom, because that's generally when I'm unhappy, when the freedom has been taken away from me. So Tim, tell us about your business. I know Michaela and Charlotte a little bit better than I know you. So tell us about how you started up and where you are on the journey today. Oh, quite awkwardly, I, I really struggle with the word entrepreneur. I don't like it. don't think it's who I am. I don't think you're alone. And uh, I think I, it's a word that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. Yeah. I Look, I've, I've always done things rightly or wrongly. I have to be interested in this. I'm not interested in it. You, you won't get the best out of me. Um, I work down tools because I've got too much sort of um, too many commitment lectures for when I was a kid off my dad. So, um, but if I'm enjoying it, I will thrive at it. So, you know, done a lot of different things, but you know, Lane Seven was just it, it came about. Uh, sort of, we're looking. I had two kids, and I didn't think the provision for like, what you could do with children in my area is very good. And wondering if there's an opportunity, and I was just googling and. Just, you know, one of those things up till late and, and came across a thing that saw something in a basement of a really cool hotel in Scandinavia. It's these two burning lights. It was fantastic. And I thought, well, that, you can make money from that. Googled around a bit more and just one thing led to another. And I think for me, it was just, it, it's never actually, I don't overcomplicate how I invest or how I want to grow my business. I just apply, if I'm a consumer or a customer, is this something I'd want? And what does that journey need to look like? in order to deliver it well. And so I looked at it and thought, this is a, can we, you know, really change bowling from from being very sort of standard, generic, you know, white tiled acoustic ceilings, plastic molded chairs, can we elevate it? And all those answers are yes, yes, yes. Can I get a little bit more for that? Because I'm going to have to spend more per lane. So can I get 50 or 75 pence more to bowl to offset that extra outlay and I thought, yeah. So I thought, okay, well, the location is the ultimate kit and nothing's changed. And we just kind of went after it that way. But we were always, I always do, and I'm not saying this is right. This is just my methodology. I always always have, um, when I used to play sports, visualisation, I'm always looking at what it's going to be in my head at the end. You know, So I'm just always looking to the end of what's it look like for the customer. Is the customer have a great time? And if it's a yes, then we'll figure out where the, hopefully the profit is in that along the way. Yeah, I think a lot of people say the best ideas are the ones which seem quite obvious to you. And if they are obvious, they generally work. Yes. Uh, one massive thing I, I've learned is that you are never the only person thinking of it, mm. ever. Yeah, I've, I've had some great ideas. We're always looking for new concepts for our family offer and scaring the world, really. We, you know, up to the States last year looking at some stuff and you think, oh, God, no one's thought of it. And you will find it if you look hard enough for long enough. Someone else is on that same path. And that's the thing. You're never, you're never the only one thinking that way. No, but you have to be the one that actually rolls their sleeves up and delivers it. Well, that's where the fall away is huge. So, you know, if you've got 100 people who've all thought of it, 90% will fall away if, without even actually making an inquiry uh, to a supplier for the product. They'll, 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 they'll think themselves out of it before they've even jumped the first hurdle. And I think it's about doing it better than they, they would do it anyway. So you've obviously got that flair of thinking, that vision of thinking what, what could be better than exists at the moment. Yeah, I, I think I've conceded recently, a couple of people have said it in the last couple of months and I've kind of conceded that I don't 
can run my business okay, yeah, run it probably quite well, but I'm actually probably a creative who runs a business. It's what I am. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of railed against that for quite a while, but I think I've conceded that that is probably who I am, quite truthfully. Yeah, well, but then maybe it's a time, that's when you get people in your team around you that yeah. can do the bits that you don't really enjoy and let your creativeness yeah, out there. Talent, that's it. Farm it all out. <laughs> Absolutely, why not? I've only just come to that conclusion as well. And I'm on the same course as you, Elaine, the Scale Up Leadership Academy um, that the Entrepreneurs Forum put on. Yeah, it's learning how to build a team around that to support my creativity. Because again, going back to that freedom, you come up with a creative idea, you have to see it through, implement it, direct it, lead it. And then it stifles it in the end. For me, anyway, that's my experience. Yeah, and it's nice, isn't it, when you've got a team that you could rely on who can do the parts of the job that you don't necessarily enjoy or thrive on. So, Charlotte, do you find that you have to take yourself physically away from the business to be more entrepreneurial? Yes, and I sometimes have to have a baby to do that. Otherwise, I just kind of... So, kind of street. Yeah, the high <laughs> right So, I just have got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And the first time I'd really taken a step back from the business was for my eldest. And I think I had three full months, very long, long time, and where I wasn't working day to day. Yes, I was still checking emails. But actually, that gave me the confidence that, yes, my team can do it. They can do some things better than me. They could do th- things different to me as well, differently to me. And that gave me the confidence as well this time. And yes, there's always different challenges. We had someone off quite a long period of time while I was on maternity this time. So there's always different challenges. But I've, yeah, I've had to forcibly remove myself. You all are quite creative. So how do you carve out time in your day to day to have that space to be creative? Michaela? Um, I think part of it is trying to get a consistent kind of structure to my day so that I can then have the space to be creative. So I know what, how I'm time blocking things that I'm giving attention to and also being a lot more intentional about how I want to spend my time so I think for a while the business was running me not me running the business so I had to take that step back to say actually you know the joy of running your own business is you get to choose how this shapes up for you and I almost had got into the habit of not doing that of letting the business and what the team needed from me um, take over so things like just having the separation I don't check emails until a certain time on the morning and when I do I only check emails twice a day now and I've given myself that freedom because I hate emails so um, for me I I need that creative time for me to then feel energized to take on the day, whether there's the highs or the lows to deal with. And part of that has been getting, you know, away from the the office as well. So we all are remote first now, but what I really enjoy and where I have my best ideas is never when I'm sat at a desk, ever. So it's also giving yourself, I think, permission to move away from the business so that you can have that space to be creative. That's where the ideas come. That's when often those challenges that seem really difficult that you're facing, you can actually work through them much better because you've given yourself the space to do it properly. So it's just being intentional with my time and actually learning to say no. So as a recovering people pleaser, um, that's really hard for me to do. So even saying no to my team has been difficult over the years and I think I'm only now still learning it but some days are better than others I'm definitely being kinder to myself and saying actually it's okay to say no to have some good boundaries and being able to actually move the things forward that I can have the biggest impact on not trying to do everything. 
that's quite impressive. Charlotte and I actually ran a session with the Entrepreneurs Forum last week on, it was called The Attention Crisis. Yes. And it was, it was a discussion that we had about how you consciously elect to use your time mm-hmm. because time is precious. And there was a saying, I don't know if you could remember it, Charlotte, pay attention to your attention because you may not have more moments of living but you'll be present for more moments of your life, which I think is just beautiful and so true. It just sums up today's society, I feel, and I'm guilty of it. Yeah. So I'm going to poo-poo all of that. I find it utterly boring to block my time. Um, I actually excel in slight chaos. I excel at it. If it's too rigid, I'd like I said earlier, I'm not invested, I'm switching off, I'm going out, I'm doing something. It, it's got to have, and, and it's not that I don't actually recommend this way of life to anyone because it's relentless and, and it's not something that I enjoy all the time, but I, I enjoy it far more than I don't. But yes, I, I'm i pretty good. I, you know, I'm not really particularly sort of uh, for the business. We spend a lot on social media, but I'm not into it too much. I'm very present, always have been with myself. You know, I'll, you know, if I'm just feeling like I can't think clearly, I don't need to go away and trap myself and just jump on my mountain bike. And that'll be the byproduct of me just flying around and concentrating. Well, I'll free my mind up. Then a cup of tea afterwards, I'll, I'll, I'll feel better and more clarity about it. But I need to have a little bit more, like I say, I don't, not too much. There is a very, uh, this ridge is very tiny for me personally, but I just need a little bit more energy into my day and things coming at me. And I, perf- I do perform better. I get in the groove and I'm off. I mean, I'm flying. I know where you are. You're a chaos pilot. Yeah, that's, that's an actual job description now in um, Silicon Valley. Wow. I think that's where where you're headed. <laughs> yeah, just, I was going to swear, but just deal with stuff. I'm good at dealing with stuff, you know, and I've learned, you know, lots. We have projects that are going wrong. You get to a site meeting and I can already see 10 people coming for me. And I'll just tell them, oh, stop. I'm going to go and have a cup of tea and come back one at a time. I'll just work through everyone thinks it's Armageddon. And by the time we leave that site meeting, we're still on for the same opening date in a month's time. And actually, I quite like, I don't want that, but I quite like the pressure on. I When the pressure's on, I, I tend to, at work anyway, step up. I'm a mix of both of you. And the one thing I'm really struggling, struggling with since having children is getting that time. Because my life's chaos, you know, at home and then sometimes chaos in the business as well. And then I'll think this is too much, right? Let's get nice and orderly. And then I'm like, oh, it's boring. I need more chaos. And so I just constantly shift between the two. Uh, yeah, I think as, I don't like the word entrepreneur, but we'll use that for now. As entrepreneurs, I think pe- we do tend to like look for a bit of chaos. I know that sounds like sometimes you can be the causer of the chaos by meddling in things that perhaps don't need meddling with, with teams. And I know um, we definitely noticed, my co-founder and I, during COVID, like we loved that challenge. We took our entire business online in a week, working globally with all of these brands that we were working with, delivering programs with, and every single face-to-face intervention had to change. And we thrived in it. So I do agree. I think some chaos is good. I prefer like controlled chaos now because I think I have had times where it's just been constant chaos and my natural default in those situations is to overwork and overwork, you know, to the point of exhaustion and that's not good either. So I think it's all of us are trying to find a balance, aren't we really, um, and have that energy every day so that you can show up for the great highs but for the challenges as well. So you've all come on a slightly 
different path to to entrepreneurship. What would you say, and I'm going to start with you, Mikhailo, has been your biggest challenge in that journey? Oh, okay. There's probably been several, but I think the biggest challenge definitely was in the last. So it started um, June 2022 and that challenge came to a closure in, in January of this year. So it's a nice recent example for you, Sally. Um, so the biggest challenge for us is we we lost a five and a half million pound contract in one day, which meant we had to completely rethink, pivot the business. So talking of chaos, that was like the worst chaos moment ever. And we've gone through six months of a legal battle with the government. We'd invested a lot of money as a small business. The stress of that, the pressure of it, bringing the team on that journey with you as well and looking after their well-being uh, was really, really challenging. So we decided to to take a step back. And I have to say now, it doesn't always feel like it because we're still dealing with the fallout, but it was the most liberating thing we could have done because Yes, we have to replace that revenue. And yes, we had to close down that part of the business. So we no longer deliver apprenticeships um, in the UK, that is. Um, But it gave us the, I think, the clarity and particularly for me and Kate, the time to really think about what type of business we do want to run. Um, And actually thinking of the freedom bit, I'd basically created a business that I wasn't free from. So, um, and it wasn't a business that was any longer giving me the kind of creativity and joy because we were so constrained by this particular issue that we were dealing with with the government contract. So incredibly challenging, had to make team members redundant, um, had to have very challenging conversations with team members, really challenging conversations with the government and legal teams, the investment that went into that as well. So you kind of then keep kicking yourself and thinking, what could we have done differently? Could we have done something else? Um, but I do think you need to come to the point where you you have to step back and realise that letting go isn't giving up. It's just actually letting go of that so that you can do something bigger and better um, and continue the other side of our business. So yeah, a nice recent example that we're still kind of recovering from very recent yeah and still going through right because none of these things happen instantly so even making that decision there's still several steps in the process that you have to work through until that's complete and it's still ongoing at the point where you made the decision Mm. to let go did that feel like a weight being lifted off your shoulders it did but it also it felt like a weight I actually wanted to let go in June last year So this is an interesting dynamic. My business partner didn't want us to do that. I still think it's the right thing that we continued that battle because we won, right? We won part of it. We we kind of won one battle, lost the war, whatever that expression is. (laughs) Um, But I think when we did finally make that decision, it felt like the most honest moment in my kind of history of running a business because there was nothing left for that's it for the government to do to us in that scenario. So because we'd let go, we then took back control to say, okay, what is our destiny? What do we want to do? How do we want to change the business? How do we want to do things differently? Who do we want to work with? Who do we not want to work with? All of those things that for a while we couldn't make those decisions because we were kind of embroiled in this um, this legal situation that we couldn't even talk about, right? So that made it challenging. The next morning, it didn't quite feel like letting go, Elaine, when you have to tell your team 
you have to talk to your clients, you've got people crying, you've got, you know, people, you know, the guilt that we felt of, you know, the situation that we had to deal with. Um, we had clients ringing us, begging us not to do it. And we were like, we actually don't have control over this situation there. This is what's happening to us and we have to react to that. So it's, it's yeah, it feels liberating now, but I think that's kind of in hindsight. I think at the time, it still felt like there was a lot of messiness. It's that messy middle of running a business. People aren't necessarily as honest with. Um, so now my big thing is when people ask me at networking events, how are you? Rather than just saying, yeah, I'm fine. It's a bit challenging, but I'm okay. I actually go into a bit more of the detail and I've noticed that it's allowed other people to feel comfortable to open up for what maybe is going on for them. That's well. really refreshing because often you just see the shiny bits, social media, and you don't see the real stories. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm sick of seeing on Instagram this whole like make seven figures in 10 days and all of these and bizarre things that you hear about. And for me, that's not personally my ambition in, in running a business. And we all know it takes a lot more than just that in 10 days. You're going to say five things. And it's that kind of shiny glossiness, I think, sometimes that maybe attracts people to entrepreneurship. But the thing that I read recently that was interesting is that you swap like a nine to five to work way more hours, but work them on your terms. And I think that for me is what's really exciting about like, being an entrepreneur. You can have control over the impact that you want to have, but also the legacy that you want to build as well. Yeah, you get control, but there's a lot of responsibility. Yes. Isn't there? Only, and you're responsible for all of your team. And that's quite a burden. You're responsible for paying their mortgages and for their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's also the flexibility thing coming back. Because I was saying this to, I was chatting with my brother and my sister-in-law. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not in a high-flying, you know, multi-billion pound corporate. But I do have the flexibility. I won't ever miss an event that my children are involved in. And they were like, hey, we have flexible working now neither will we and I'm like oh damn it <laughs> and it's interesting because that was often one of the main reasons that people would go it on their own um, and if entrepreneurs or business owners are losing that you know that's going to be an interesting concept moving forward about m- whether more will enter the game or for not yeah I think I don't think there's necessarily enough benefit um, I think it's big <laughs> kind of brainwashed. Um, it's going to be a very bland world in 20 years. You know, I took my kids backpacking to Thailand about three years ago. There's a Starbucks on Kosan Road. You know, I want to take them there when I was when in the late 90s. Where I was like, and you're going, wow, come back in 20 years, it's going to be the 20 biggest brands on the planet. So I think the motivation to risk it all, to, to run your own business and have whatever those benefits are for yourself against the risk when you can go and have, if you can... Uh, get one of these jobs and these kind of employers because they're not everywhere. It's not low-hanging fruit. But if you can be fortunate enough to work at one of these PLCs or sort of global names, then yes, what why why have the you know the, the burden and and, and the, the sleepless nights. I think going back to social media, I, it just the whole thing blows my mind in that yes, everyone just if it was that easy to be successful, everyone would do it. You know, and everyone who did it would succeed. But if you look at the stats of being successful, you know, at opening a, an independent business, actually, if you actually looked at them a bit too hard, you probably wouldn't start <laughs> your own, quite frankly. Yeah. So I think there's a, just a, 
a whole dose of, of realism across the board for what it is to just run your own business and the pros and cons. I think it's it's very difficult in the world we live in for probably young people to really truly have that piece of paper with the pros and cons and they and then to be accurate of what that really is now. It's hard to find that that truth, if you like. And is there any advice you'd give to people who are out there thinking about setting up their own business and young entrepreneurs in our audience? Don't do it. <laughs> I'm really joking. I, mean, I guess one thing that I wish I'd done before setting up was have a really nice long holiday. I know you, I was saving the money for the for my business, but you never get a proper relaxing holiday again. Maybe you guys are different, but there's always interruptions. And quite often it's me not having the control to put it to one side, but usually there's a phone call. Of some sort. And again, it's my fault. I'm like, call me if there's anything I can help with. But And even if there's not, I'm always thinking about it behind the scenes. So I wish I took that really long holiday, maybe a few months traveling and just, you know, complete serenity. I think for me, I think um, we're, we're quite a unique business. So we have to, our capital to build a site is ginormous. Um, so we're, we're kind of in a slightly, even though we're independent, we're in a slightly kind of big boys game in that respect. But accessing finance is just a disaster zone. And it's still, we're getting reasonably big and it's still a disaster zone. No one wants to to loan to you. And if they do, they want the shirt off your back uh, at considerable lengths. So we went to a number of banks and I remember the um, the phrase at the time, we said, oh, we've got a new concept in, in leisure. It's going to be more frontals late night. And two banks use the same thing. We'd say, well, the problem you've got is you're high risk in a high risk, high risk industry, meaning you're kind of uncoverable for us. And, you know, I think that... Accessing credit or, or, or debt is, is really, really difficult. And there is a void in the market, which it's part of a capitalist environment. And in some ways, I get it. In some ways, I hate it, which is if you want to raise a reasonable amount of money, so in our case, it costs sometimes several million to build a site, and you can't see so you've got a, a, your, your journey to from profit would take too long to for several years to go by, make enough money to start a little one, get some debt, normal debt levels. Then people come in and you get private equity, but they want an enormous amount of your business, not very much money, so you can access that cash. You have to give away a lot of your potential value. I think the transition is really, really difficult. It, and you know, I speak to my dad who started off with his petrol station, he grew, you know, we built that. And, you know, there was a much fairer um, relationship with banks, you would, you would go along say, I want to do this petrol station and he'd do his um, business plan. The manager of that bank would know my father, would know he works hard or he did it. It would be much more of a connection there to go, no, no, you know, if it does go wrong, it's, it's not going to be one of trying or application or ability. It's just transactional now. There's nothing in there. All those elements have gone. The people, connection elements gone. It's just transactional. So, it will be arrange your cash and, and have a have a feel of what if you are successful, um, if you had to give something up, what 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 would it be? Because depending on if you are a, a cash intensive business like ours, that's almost certainly going to be a, a question you're going to have to answer. What motivates you then to keep going when you're coming up against challenges like that? I, I I love being um um I love running. Um, our business at Darlington with a load of people who didn't really work in hospitality because every time I go down London I have to, to try and get another site invariably asset manager sat there in London goes where's your site in London and I don't have one he goes well I don't know who you are if you're not in London you're not relevant if you're not private actually backed you're not relevant so for us to be the 
sort of biggest volume of site operator in sort of the third biggest bowling operator now in the country. And to do it at Darlington, I'm just poking in the eye. Although it would be great. We're going to finally open a site in London. And that will, that will just solve all those problems. We'll just go away. It's amazing, isn't it? Because life doesn't exist for these guys beyond 25. I know. It's such a shame that we have such amazing businesses in the northeast that we need to shout about them and, and make them the success stories of the country. So there was a, there was a huge, I'm not a bit to say really, but a huge landlord, global landlord was out at our Manchester side along with other ones. And it's taking um, that agent years to get them to come outside of London to Christian views, some really good concepts and really good businesses that are outside of London that might be suitable for some of this space that's now arrived in London. And that's taking this guy two or three years to just get them to get on the train and come north. So it's, it's not, not that far either, is it? Not even, like I say, if you're not in London, you're not relevant to our industry. You know, so it has been incredibly frustrating. But as we've grown more sites, I just poke them in the eye a bit deeper. You know, kind of that's my drive. It's been good. But we're having to open a London office. So at some point you do have to conceive if we want the talent to suit the size of our business. I need specialists in uh, leisure. And I need people who've run big leisure businesses before. And they're hard to find in the Northeast. I mean, I have tried. And we just can't quite fill these certain spots. So... We're having to have a blend of where we start recruiting this talent from. Or we'll hold the business back with that mentality. So it's worked to a point and you've got to mature and, and move on again. Yeah, and compromise. And that may be one of the compromises you need to take to move your business forward. And one of the things that has always impressed me with Lane 7 is that you are essentially bringing life back into the high street in some of the towns and the locations that you pick for your sites. Is that a strategy that you've taken? Uh, it's yes and no. I think that we, what's kind of interesting is that um, in, in having that business and take level X has up to 100,000 square foot requirement, which is a full department store, for example, we're kind of seeing what um, developments of these huge shopping centres is going to be in two or three years. You're seeing people going, oh, so-and-so, it's rubbish. You go, yeah, but I've seen the plans. It's going to be absolutely fantastic, even if we didn't do something. So it is quite nice seeing where where those sites that are going to have really good reinvention. It's quite frustrating when you have an asset manager who won't take the haircut on the return. So still trying to get the same square foot rents. So we do have a part to play in that. I think that it can be exciting. I think the biggest issue is still for, you know, um, turmoil in a commercial property values thing that they're reckoning across Europe, the average right down is 30%, which means when you have to rebound key yields on your rent, the negotiations, because the landlords have all of those pressures, could be quite tedious, if I'm being truthful. So. Yeah, it's not using your creative flair, is it, dealing with landlords? Uh, no, like doing the pitch and then I reverse on the a good team behind you. And Charlotte, you mentioned earlier about your parents steering you away from running your own business. And do they give you much support now that you've got your own business when you've had your challenges? They would if I asked them. Um, you know, I, I very much want it to be my own thing. And you know, my mum actually works in the business one day a week. She's fantastic helping with the, the finance side, chasing up the, all the debt. I'm brilliant at that. And, you know, we have talked about it more. When they were saying to me back then, they were quite abrupt with, oh, don't do it, you know, do this. I thought it was because they didn't think that I could do it. It's only been quite recently when they were said, oh, do you understand kind of how hard it is and why we maybe would have persuaded you to not do it? But they're always there for me. They're definitely a big source of inspiration. Whenever I'm asked that question, you know, what, which entrepreneurs or leaders do you look up to? It is my, always my parents. And 
I think from the outside, and again, it's it's things that have only come to light recently when you know you're drunk at family occasions. Everything can look easy from the outside, and you don't realize the challenges that people are facing internally and with the business. And yeah, I never realized that growing up. I was always very grateful, but I'm just you know, so inspired to know what I know now and how they, they battled and made it through it and made success. And um, so, yeah, they, I don't necessarily lean on them for a lot of advice, but they're a source of inspiration. Excellent. And Michaela, your sources of inspiration, you mentioned you've got a co-founder. Yes. Is that someone you lean on a lot to for inspiration and support? Definitely. And I've, I've kind of run a business on my own and I've run a business with someone and they both have unique challenges, but I definitely say I much prefer working with Kate. So we met by complete coincidence at a conference we were both speaking at in 2016 and we decided to build a business together. But working with someone who has enough similarities to you so that you really work well together and you understand the kind of drive and a bit of that chaos and creativity that you both thrive of. But we're enough different that we can kind of keep each other grounded and inspired, but also be able to work on the things that we're both good at. So we each have our zone of genius in the business. Um, and we do have some crossover there, but there's certainly things that I'm better at than Kate is and Kate's better than me. And so we complement each other quite well. But I think having that sounding board is really important. The only thing I would say slightly different to that is, you know, building mentors around you as well. I've got, I've invested in coaching over the years as well, is really great way to just get different perspectives. The only thing I would say to kind of slightly go against that is you've got to trust yourself. You've got to trust your own kind of gut instinct because all of these mentors, all of these people around you, they're coming at these problems or situations from their own map of the world. And while that's really valuable to get their kind of insight, inspiration, thought process, you, you also can't let it derail you. And I think sometimes I've defaulted to people around me who've, you know, investors that have been perhaps more experienced, older, all of those things that when I felt maybe slightly out of my comfort zone situations, I've defaulted to other people and to their opinions and their perspectives. And then it's only when I've kind of stepped back and thought, hold on a second, I'm doing that again, that old habit. It's helped me just reframe the situation and actually move forward knowing you know your business better than anyone else. And so it's that balance constantly, isn't it? Of getting other perspectives, leaning on other people to learn but also trusting your own kind of intuition and moving forward in the way that you want to as well. So all of these people around me have been really inspiring. Um, my coaches that I work with, Donna and Cheryl, are based in the Northeast, incredible, hugely inspirational. But you've also got to trust yourself with these things as well. So it's always a balance. I think it's that bravery, isn't it, of thinking, I'll take other people's advice, but I know when to say no I don't need that advice I'll take yeah that advice. you have to be kind of courageous in your decision making I think sometimes as a business owner and even when it's not an easy decision it's really hard and actually it's maybe the decision that feels really gut-wrenching and uncomfortable you know deep down whether it's the right decision or not and the right move to make and I think sometimes those conversations are really challenging but if you don't do them you'll end up in a situation either running a business you don't enjoy or 
you know, not feeling very authentic. I don't like that word because I think it's a bit overused, but um, you won't really feel like yourself in the business anymore. So having those kind of courageous conversations, I think is really important. And that goes for your team, your leadership team, everyone around you, because it's only then that I think you can actually take a good step forward in the right direction. Charlotte, are you good at trusting your own intuition or do you use mentors? I'm getting better at trusting my own intuition. It's led me down terrible paths in the past. Um, but yeah, well, actually, no, it hasn't. It's always been telling me, you know, you're making a mistake here. And I'm like, no, I'm ignoring you. I know best. This is what you're meant to do. And yeah, so it's it's getting that confidence, I think, and belief in yourself, something that I've really struggled with in my journey. I don't know whether it was setting up young setting up as a female yeah to listen to what Michaela was saying when I first started I was like I want to name my PR business after my dogs people are like, oh, don't do that that's ridiculous like you look like a pet shop and so I was like oh okay well I still want to call it Harvey and Hugo but I won't put the dogs anywhere and so I was like maybe a couple of years down the line with this nice navy blue brand but it had no personality so it got to about two years in I finally had the confidence right the dogs are going everywhere <laughs> and actually it made no difference it gave us more personality people wanted to get involved in that so it is about having that confidence but I also do believe in mentors I've had a few through the forum and actually I've got a meeting with hopefully a new mentor after this so it's all very exciting so I'm a Luddite I'm a caveman I don't have any mentors nothing I don't network I do I just do it probably old-fashioned so you know, if I go to an awards event or I'm on a table with interested people, I'll make sure I pick that person's brain, have a drink with them afterwards. Um, if we've had a meeting in town with someone at it, maybe a four or five o'clocker, uh, we might go for uh, be in the pub on the corner afterwards, whatever. I I I I source my information. I'm just doing it very through a very informal setting, and I feel that that's often a really great place to get it. My brother used to be a surveyor out in. Um, he got head on to go to Shanghai in the kind of late nineties, early two thousand. He said, "All, all of your info, all your deals are done in the pub. It's where everyone just starts, you know, cheering the fan. You, that's where people let let rip. A couple of beers probably helps. But I've kind of taken that route. What I would say is that you've got to, um, you've everyone's very different. When I was young, I used to kind of do a lot of kind of um, outdoor things. I think I spent about over two years of my life in a tent. So I've had lots of time just." Listen to myself, and I know when it. I know I might make a decision. We were going to sign a site. The deal was done. It was a great deal for us, and it just something kept nagging at me. And I was trying to figure out what it was. It wasn't clear that it was the site. Had a lot of the problems at the time to resolve, and then one day I just realised that it's that site. So we rang up, withdrew from the the withdrew our offer, withdrew from the deal, and I immediately felt great, and I haven't regretted it for for one second. So. It's good to question yourself, but it's really good to know yourself and only you can do that. No one else, in my opinion, can tell you how to find that. That is a, you just, everything about that site on paper is right, but I just didn't feel it. So I withdrew and I've never, let's like say, I'm not regretted. So for me, correct decision. Yeah, absolutely. Trusting your in intuition on that occasion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So if you could go and then be a fly on the wall in someone else's boardroom and have a listening to what was going on, which boardroom would you choose to go into? For me, it would be Huel, the, the protein oh, yeah. brand. Um, 
just because it's, it's, I think it's one of the fastest growing brands to start with. I really love the product. It's great for when you're out and about. It sounds like I'm on the board. I'm not. Um, I'm in the mission. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'd like to be on the board. Um, Stephen Bartlett, who um, I listen to his podcast, he's on the board. And yeah, that he always talks about how the decisions they make are for good. You know, it's all about the genuine quality things that are in there. And it's just been nice to see. There's a lot, there's a big rise of this and trend, you know, all the B Corps and everything like that, whether or not they're just using it as a badge and um, for publicity. But it just seems like they are kind of a business for good. And it'd just be nice to see that because often you think the businesses that are doing things for good, they're never going to make millions and millions. So, you know, here this brand is, and it's a nice kind of contradiction. We, we don't have a board for my business, so we don't have any other investors. So my board meetings are very efficient. So um, I, which is something we are considering at the minute, but I don't know if it will lose a bit of our culture and dynamism if we do that. Um, I don't know. I'm still, that's still in thought. But um, I, I just love to... Uh, see any large corporations uh, board meeting when results are really, really poor. I'd love to see how brutal it is, how cutthroat it is, how fierce it is, or is it calm and calculated? You know, um, I would just, I think that's an environment that, that, that would just be fascinating, absolutely fascinating to be in. You just like the fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> all love with us, yeah. <laughs> Michaela, have you got any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, so one of the ones um, that I would really like to sit on is Virginia Knight. So Holly Branson sits on the board um, with some of the other members of the, the Branson family, but there's all sorts of interesting people at board members. And the reason I'm so interested in what they do is that that's the foundation arm of obviously Virgin as a brand. And I'm really intrigued to know actually where they're investment goes into the impact that they're wanting to have because we recently a year ago set up a community interest company as part of our outreach program so we have our kind of commercial business and then we have outreach that mainly focuses on social mobility so giving opportunities to people that are incredibly talented and capable but for whatever reason they've not had that opportunity in life to, to kind of go after their ambition and dreams and Virgin Unite invest in this sort of activity. So from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also from a um, community interest as well. And I'm fascinated to know where that funding goes because it's incredibly hard as a community interest company to secure funding. We found that in the Northeast and even looking nationally. So I'd love to know what what's the trick? How do they actually choose the organizations that they invest in and what that kind of process and thought process they go through to determine what is a good pitch and a good opportunity for them? So at the moment, we're funding that ourselves through our commercial operation and we're starting to look at different bids and opportunities, but really difficult in the UK, no problem in the US. We've managed to get two projects up and running this year already in the US from literally a standing start. So, um, but here in the UK, it's really difficult to get that going. So I think social mobility outreach, I'd love to know what Virgin United are doing. So Holly Branson, if you're listening, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. We'll send her the episode. <laughs> you're welcome to come and join us at play now. That would be amazing. Yeah. A brilliant speaker. And all three of you have built really successful businesses. But if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? I'm going to ask Tim that first. Uh, I'd probably, if I wasn't really my own business, I think I'd be a mountaineer. I nearly thought about it and then... 
sort of didn't do it. So in my kind of mid-twenties, I was having to make a decision about careers. And yeah, I love the outside. I just love it. Uh, but back that freedom element. I just, yeah, so it w- wouldn't be particularly anything. Uh, it would be if I can't have that freedom in my own business, it'd be just make sure if you go to work, you've, you've got it around you. So something something like that would be brilliant, like Mountain Guide or something like that. I'd have loved to have been a professional athlete. So if um, water polo was a sport like football, I would have made it. It would have been fine. And I could have just had lived lived the life. Um, or something within sports, um, maybe a, a sports presenter on television. Um, just have that passion for sport um, and really enjoy it. There's still time yet, Charlotte. Exactly. Like, yeah, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be working in international development. So um, I worked for the Red Cross um for a little while in Africa and it was probably my most favorite job other than running my own business so just amazing experience to mix my love of travel my love of being outside all the time and also having an impact so being able to do that sort of work and create opportunities for people I think is brilliant and it's something that eventually I want to be bringing back into what I do so it's a goal at some point the only other thing could be a goat herder because that's what I do by night and weekend I've got goats so it could be that I would just be running a farm and um having freedom through that fantastic mountaineering goat herder <laughs> really a sports presenter <laughs> Brilliant. there's a new collaboration that I've got never I'll stand there with a stopwatch <laughs> um so let's fast forward now to your 70th birthday party and there's a one away um what are people going to be saying about you at that party if you were going to sum it up in just a few words? They're all thinking, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine being that old. That's so young and sprightly. Yeah. Charlotte, we'll start with you. I'm sure your mum and dad are going to be there. Oh, I'd, I'd hope so, but maybe not. You know, sometimes it doesn't really matter. Now that I have children, I just want them, I really care what they think about me and just kind of hope that I can inspire them the way my parents have. You know, I'd love them to say that, I was really charismatic, charming, and you know, had loads of funny stories along the way and the journey. Um, but who knows? Maybe they won't. <laughs> I think mine would be that she was honest and she showed up imperfectly, but as she is, to create impact and actually have a legacy that I can be really proud of. And I think that legacy would be, you know, changing people's lives by giving them opportunities and learning that they just otherwise wouldn't have. So I think for me, there's something about legacy building, but I'm not quite sure yet what that looks like. It's something I'm still working on. And luckily, I've got a bit of time before I'm 70 to keep working on it. And also, I think it's that You know, when you show up imperfectly in a situation, you just give it a go. I'd like people to be able to say, do you know what? She gave it a go. It didn't always work out, but she gave it a go and she inspired some other people to do the same. And particularly women, particularly women in the Northeast, there's not enough of us in businesses. And I think the final part would be a little bit what Tim said. We need more money. We need investment. So I'd love people to be able to say at my 70th that I have invested in businesses and those businesses that haven't been able to get funding from banks, haven't been able to get credit, particularly women. I mean, 2% of all funding goes to women globally. It's just not good enough. So that's the other thing that I'd love to do at some point is be able to support women so that they can get the investment they need and they can get it from people that they actually want to work with. 
because I've had investors, I've gone through those processes and it's not fun being a woman often. I've had some really inappropriate questions asked of me, asking me when I'm having children, how many if I am going to have, literally in a room on a stage in front of people and not one person in that room said anything or that it was inappropriate and that wasn't that long ago. So if people in my 70s could say that she made an impact, that for me would be. And for those of you who don't know, Michaela has, is it a license to run TEDx Women? And yes. it's the first time that TEDx Women Conference has been held outside of London. That's my right. correct. And yeah. it's going to be in Middlesbrough. It is. In November 2023. It is. Thank you for the shout out, Elaine. Yes. And we hope it's going to be an annual event. Um, and it's for it's not just for women to attend, it's for women, non-binary people, men, allies, everyone. We want everyone to show up. But the conversation will be about seeing opportunities for women and girls, particularly in Middlesbrough, because it is um, the worst place to be born a girl in the UK. And it's where I was born and grew up. So I really want to change that narrative as well, because I think that deprivation of aspiration is killing parts of the Northeast. Well, best of luck with the conference and let us know if we can help. Um, going back to the parties, Tim, I'm thinking your 70th birthday party will be up a mountain and there'll be some activities involved during the day before we're doing something like that. Our friends and uh, staff would be uh, rather surprised to make it to 50. That's oh, right, quite frankly. Yeah. I, I try not to, never have. I, I, I have lots of probable, you know, things that I, I'd like to do. You know, that they're all similar things that we've just heard. I just don't particularly feel personally the requirement to organise them as such. Going back to earlier, I, I'm very much in the moment. Um, so I'm just looking a year or two ahead, tops all the time. I don't have any five-year plans. I just, I like to enjoy my life. I'd, I'd hate it if people associated me as a person with uh, me at work. I don't think that's a, for me personally, a healthy reflection. I it's something I love doing. I take important people seriously. So I think if if we're there and there's plenty of people turn up, I, I just hope that it will be a, a balanced view and not not too dominated by potential work legacy. If that is something I have, um, yeah, probably more of a, an all round view of me would be where I'd feel happy. Wonderful. Well, we are thankful that you decided to spend this moment with us this afternoon. <laughs> and it's Charlotte and Michaela and Sally. We're very grateful for your time. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation and we will catch up with you all soon. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs. 